Happy Friday, guys, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Dubs. I'm your host, Bilty. Another Friday, another podcast coming to you, and this one is no different. On today's show, I've got John Brewster, who's a uh, drag racer, engine builder, fabricator. Uh, he's a man of many talents out of the UK. He's been in the drag racing scene there forever. Uh, he just so happened to have his shop right around the corner from Spike's Vintage Restorations, my buddy Andy's shop there in the UK, and I decided to stop in and get him on podcast. So he's got a lot of history in the VW scene, was there in the early days of drag racing in the UK. So it's a great podcast and a good listen, and we'll kind of touch back to that in just a second, but I wanted to give a shout out to some of our supporters. I want to give a shout out to Jeff Straw out of Los Osos, California, picked up a t-shirt and a sticker pack. Appreciate you for supporting the podcast. Uh, he's building... So he's building a 56 Euro oval with a Type 4 engine, a 901 trans on disc brakes and IRS chassis. His parents sold their 56 Euro on 66 to pay my birthing costs. So it's sort of a legacy for me. And he says he loves the podcast, man. Hey, I appreciate you, Jeff. Like you don't even know supporting the podcast. So thanks so much. If you guys want to shout out, make sure that you go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up some merch. I do have sweatshirts out now, so you have to go check them out. I haven't had a chance to sit down in front of the website yet and get some stuff dialed in, but you go to the store, you can find a couple sweatshirts and stuff on there. So get geared up for the cold, crisp winter that's on its way. If you want a shout out, go to letstalkdubs.com, pick up some merch, or leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcast, and don't forget to leave your name in the review. So we appreciate those that appreciate Let's Talk Dubs podcast. Also, don't forget Ross Wolf, high-quality aftermarket parts built for enthusiasts by enthusiasts. Go check out their website, rosswolf.com. They have some pretty cool stainless steel bus deck lid hinges. So if your bus deck lid hinges are kind of janky or your shifter's all funky and it ain't shifting right, make sure you guys go check out Ross Wolf and take a look at their stuff they've got on their website. A lot of parts and pieces that they have for improvements, uh, some car jewelry, some different things that accent your motor, make it look good, but also a lot of functional parts that fix existing problems like their dash bus dash cover. You got a 60 split window bus with a hacked up dash. They got your cover plate for you. So save you all the weld and all that stuff. It just covers that raggedy old hole and it looks pretty slick. So I got one for my bus, get one for your bus and go check them out at rosswolf.com. Also don't forget Go subscribe today at vwtrendsmagazine.com. A magazine back from the past on the scene again, showing the variety of things that are in the VW scene. A little bit of East Coast, a little bit of West Coast, a little bit of air-cooled, water-cooled, and a bunch of how-tos. So go check those guys out. Subscribe today at vwtrendsmagazine.com. If you guys happen to go to one crazy weekend this year, you saw Eric Arnold's display, the photographer. He also just put out a new book called Dub dogsbook.com is where you can pick it up and he put together um, a, a compilation of it's four years in the making for his book and uh, he sold quite a bit of it one crazy weekend another limited production so you guys want to get one if you're into dogs and you're into Volkswagens this is a cool book so he's got a lot of time in, in creating this book and it's people the dogs and the Volkswagens that belong with each other or, you know, people, their dogs, and their Volkswagen. So a lot of us have our four-legged friends as part of our family. So if you're into that, go check out dubdogsbooks.com. And you can put in a discount code LTDPODCAST, and you'll receive a few dollars off the order. So put in the discount code 
ltdpodcast at dubdogsbook.com. So go check it out. It's a cool book, a lot of cool Volkswagens and dogs in it. So I know you'll dig it. So go check it out. So today's podcast is John Brewster. Uh, he's got a history going way back in the UK, early drag racer with a company called Autocavan. He rode their, he drove their drag car uh, back in the 80s, uh, 1988 in Santa Pod, like tons and tons of stuff. I mean, he's been involved in the uh, VWDRC for, for years, you know, in the origins of it. He's got his car, Unfinished Business, that he still runs. I think it runs 10s. And uh, he owns a company called JB's Elite Fabrication. So I'll leave some links in the bottom below. Give him a follow. He's an OG from way back that's been uh, doing big things in the UK. And he's an unbelievable mechanic, fabricator, drag racer, engine builder, and all of the above. So it's some good early history with the UK drag racing scene and a lot of how that came together. So uh, without any further ado, guys, let's get into this week. John Brewster, drag racer, one of the old school UK guys on this week's Let's Talk Dubs. You probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Okay, everybody. So on today's show, uh, I'm still here in the UK and just got back from the Air Mighty show over in uh, the Netherlands and back here at Andy's shop. And it just so happens that his neighbor is John Brewster. And John Brewster is a known drag racer here. Uh, he's been involved in the VW scene for quite a few years here in the UK. And so on today's podcast, I want to welcome John Brewster from United Kingdom to the podcast. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Yeah. So the way that we always start the podcast, John, uh, I know you've got a long history of drag racing here in the UK and where we start with everything is what's your VW story and how did you get into Volkswagens? The first Volkswagen I had was in 1975 and it was a 64, um, pretty tatty old thing, 1200 obviously. And, uh, yeah, hand, it was hand painted, and it cost me about six pounds. Yeah, which, uh, <laughs> six pounds for the car. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, it was a deal that um, one of my work colleagues got. He bought about four cars uh, from somebody because he wanted a particular car, mm -hmm. and he had to buy all four of them. So. Um, he let me have it for six pounds. Oh, wow. So he picks up a package deal and then you get the runoff of the deal, huh? Yeah, he didn't want the Beagle. And yeah. so how old were you at this time? Um, I was uh, 18. So at 18 years old, did, had you been looking at Volkswagens and thinking, I want to maybe get into those? What was the VW scene like out here? I mean, what motivated you to, to look? Or was it just, hey, it's super cheap and I'm going to get into it? That's exactly what it was. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, I we have obviously we have MOTs over here, yeah. which is for road checking for roadworthiness. So I checked it over, didn't know anything about Beetles at all. Um, I'd look round it, a little bit of rust, so I did 
I was already a welder, so I welded a few little bits up. And um, it had uh, it, kingpins were worn. Yeah. Pretty standard, isn't it? And uh, so I bought a kingpin kit from a place called Autocavern in Farnham. Yeah. Which is the first time I'd ever heard of them. Right. Um, and I think the kingpin kit cost me about £2.50. Wow. <laughs> so I did the job. We had, I worked in a workshop because I, I, I was a prince mechanic at the time. Okay. So um, I reamed out the bushes, hammered it all together. Thought the lights were a bit dim, but uh, six volt. So um, it was, and it, what, what year was the car? 64? Uh, 1964, yeah. And they were still six volt? Oh, yeah, six, yeah, the, six, six volt. Yeah. yeah, what am I thinking? Yeah. And um, anyway, so I bought some cheap remold tires for it because it had been off the road for quite a while. Yeah. And that was it. So you got that thing on the road. And then as you buy a Volkswagen, did you start to see a community around the VW people? Did you start congregating with other VW people? How, how did you start getting pulled into like the, the VW scene per se? Um, not with that car. Yeah. A couple of years later, um, I started going out with a, with a, a girl that was lived somewhere near the workshop where I worked. And... Um, Funnily enough, her father owned Autocavan, which wow. was a Volkswagen, a, you know, a Volkswagen dealer. Sorry, not dealer, but a Volkswagen independent parts specialist place. Yeah, but just just parts or no service. Um, they had a workshop mm -hmm. in Farnham, in Bagshot Lee, and um, which, funnily enough, is where I bought the, the Kingpin kit from. So you start dating this girl, and and and. Give me an idea how big that shop was. Was that like the premier VW repair shop in? in uh, not in, not back in the not back in the seventies. Mm -hmm. No, um, there was only one, and it was owned by Jeff Thomas. And um, we got chatting about various things, and about a year later, I, I, I after I passed my uh, vehicle technician apprenticeship, I started working for him. Oh really? So you're working for the girlfriend's dad. Yeah. Is she still the girlfriend? Uh, no. Okay. So that. <laughs> um, no, we we got married. We married. Oh. For a few, we got married for a few years. Yeah. Uh, we married for ten years, and um, what with me working a lot of hours and etc., it it petered out. Yeah. We still know each other. We still there's no animosity at all. Right. So, right. Yeah, we're happy. So, uh, so it was called Auto Cavan. Auto Cavan, yeah. Auto Cavan, and they were a VW supply house or import car parts supply house with a service bay too, and yes. So you, so you were apprenticing as a mechanic, and then after your apprenticeship, you go and start working there full time. Yeah, basically the engine, the workshop there mm -hmm. mainly did engines, and um, Jeff Thomas used to race uh, or built and raced a Rallycross thirteen oh two. Oh, really? And um, <clears throat> he was also involved in uh, modifying the first Mark I Golfs that came out with suspension kits and mm -hmm. engine conversions, twin webbers, that sort of stuff, before the GTI came out. Because <clears throat> he bought a brand new Golf in 1976, uh, yeah. which was a 1600 LS. And that was converted in over the years into a full-on circuit racer, which was the quickest uh, Volkswagen golf in in europe at one time on wow. circuits it won it won championships and i mechanicked on that car 
built engines. And then while I was in the workshop there, I was building, started building performance Volkswagen air-cooled engines. And so you started learning, uh, so at a young age, you're, you're in there, you're apprenticing, you start building engines uh, a couple years in. And with performance engines, what are some of the things that, because I mean, building a stock motor is fairly simple, right? I mean, it's not something that's going to rev like a beast. It's just, a, it's just kind of a putt around and get it done motor. And then building performance motors. What were some of the things that you were doing back then or had to be taught to do differently than doing on a stock rebuild when you were doing performance engines? Well, first off, I'd never built a Beetle engine. Oh, <clears throat> never? No. Up to that point, I'd never done one when I started at AutoClan. Mm -hmm. But I had a lot of experience building other engines, um, you know, conventional four-cylinder water-cooled stuff. Sure. And I had worked on cars since I was about 10 years old. So, um, so I, you're mechanically inclined already. Yeah, ridiculously so, apparently. Yeah. And what's the first thing you think? I mean, because it's with any of the other like inline four, stuff like that, anything that's got a split case motor is a whole different deal to build than a solid block engine, right? Yeah. There's a lot of checking to do on the crankcase. Yeah. The, ma the main thing on a, on a Beetle engine or air-cooled engine like that is the crankcase, the condition and the, the structural integrity of the crankcase, where, you know, how, because magnesium, it, it doesn't like living a long, long time without having problems, because it goes soft and threads pull quite easy and they go crumbly and they corrode a lot in a lot of areas, especially around the bottom where the tinware screws on. And, and also, if they're not treated properly or they're revved too high for too long in standard engines and they pound the case right and once a once a case is pounded um you can line bore them to probably about four different sizes which we used to do um but they can spring the center main and they don't talk up properly with the right tension between the two case halves right and one there was always the talk you know in, in gene berg's book he always talked about you know, his philosophy with building an engine was why start with a line board case that's been an engine case that's had the life pounded out of it. Why not just start with a brand new engine case, which was which was a big debatable thing in the early days of building motors and stuff. And he, he always attributed rebuilding engines with new cases and things like that with with old cases would result in uh, low oil pressure and a couple other things. And, but it was kind of the way that everybody was doing things. Everybody would line bore a case and get it trued back up. But again, like you said, there's a, there's a little bit of a, uh, a little bit of softening that happens with the magnesium. And you look at when Volkswagen developed the type four, which was the next evolution of the four, flat four motor, they went with a solid aluminum crankcase, you know, understanding that the heat cycles that go on those motors, um, that was just the next evolution. So when you're, so you're helping uh, helping him prep his race car, all that kind of stuff, and then is is there any flat four VW racing that he's doing as well? Was that because that was the GTI he was racing or the Golf? Um, he he at the time he uh, had had the Rallycross Beetle, which he rallycrossed. Oh, that, it was a Beetle he was rallycrossing. Oh yeah, sorry, yeah. It was oh, okay, a, it was a two point three Beetle, and he and this when I came along the scene, he was on his second Rallycross Beetle. Mm -hmm. And um, that was a fantastic car. Yeah. And um, it was 2.3. Um, yeah, I mean, um, it was 
you know, crankcase-wise and everything, it was fairly well built on the budget. The crankcase that we used on that had been used, line board, all sorts, and it was making good power, and uh, it was competitive, very competitive, especially when, when the conditions were a bit damp right. and stuff. Uh, it made good power, had, you know, had the usual IDAs on it. We ran it at one point with on alcohol. Oh, wow. And um, we tested it in the snow once, and that's when I got a t chance to drive it. And, um, and how was that? Absolutely fantastic. Yeah. You could, you could do anything you like with it. Follow it locked sideways. It, it really, he really had it set up well. You control it with the throttle. Absolutely. Absolutely yeah. superb. I couldn't believe it when I drove it. Yeah. Fantastic. So that, that gets you behind the wheel of a performance Volkswagen. Yeah. And then is that when you got kind of, pardon the pun, but bit with the bug of like, I want to build a fast car or what? Yeah. Well, when I started um, at Autocavan, mm -hmm. I had to build a bug. There was like a requirement for the job? No, I required it because I've been building these performance engines, doing head work, putting big valves in because we used to have to make carburetor, carburetor conversions. There was, there was no throttle linkage you could buy. You have to make it all. Mm -hmm. And we used to make all that rose jointed. Um, for To convert to dual carburetors? Yeah, yeah. And uh, even, uh, back then there was, Autocavan used to make their own single um, single car, single twin choke car, things like 34s and stuff. Right. And they had their own unit manifolds made. And a lot of guys would use those, ports. they'd use those Holly carburetors too, right? Like we, a, we did used to use a Holly bug spray 200 CFM and a 300 CFMs. Right. And sometimes you'd do all those things too, right? Yeah, we used to run them. Yeah, we used to, used to do a lot of those. They work really well on 1835s and 7076s, stuff like that. And so what's so you start building your own car? What do you build for yourself at this time? I had a nineteen, I had a nineteen seventy fifteen hundred, um, and this was in about nineteen. This must have been in about nineteen seventy eight, seventy nine, something like that. Mm -hmm. So it was only a few years old, but it had been crashed in the front. Um, that's the only reason I could afford to buy it. So, so you get the car, you decide you're going to rebuild the whole thing. So I, the, the front was repaired, mm -hmm. and I wanted a. 1835 for it um it had single port heads and stuff so i took the engine out rebuilt it i couldn't afford twin port heads and stuff like that so i put big valves in the old uh, single port really ported it all out and um yeah i put front rear roll bars conies a, a set of slot mag wolf race wheels really and um yeah that uh so was that pretty common back here back? I mean, if you're building motors to just big valves from single port heads, if you can't afford a new set of heads type thing? Not many people did it because, because when we built them for people, generally they, we started with new cylinder heads. Yeah. And we put big valves in them and stuff because you couldn't really buy that sort of stuff. You had to make everything. Back then we had to make performance heads, make throttle linkage, you know, a lot of stuff that you take for granted now you just go along and order it and there it comes you know yeah i just i was just uh at the air mighty show and there was a guy that had some kind of homemade linkage which was just basically like an angle iron bar that had two holes and it was mounted through the fan shroud and then had two fixed joints for the himes you know for the carburetor control and it was interesting because it was for sure homemade and he says yeah i don't know where i found it at a swap meet somewhere and i thought it looked really cool and he, he made it work on his car but I can totally understand what you're saying about trying to get that dual carb set up. You know, nobody had cast caps for the top of the carburetors <laughs> to put, you know, the, to, to put the take, the Taco linkage or any of that kind of stuff. So we, we basically mirrored the Type Three linkage because that's, okay. that's my preferred type of linkage. The push pull. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because it 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 compensates for the different width of the engine at different mm -hmm. heats better than the uh, up and down. In my opinion. Mm -hmm. and, and whenever I've made that linkage for myself, I've always I've always made that style. And so what? So this car, this seventy Beetle that you're building. You obviously got to go through and build the front end. Do you just, do you make this, is this specifically a drag car? Like I'm going to build a drag no. car or you're like, I'm going to build a street car. Yeah, basically it was a, it was my, it was in my everyday street car. So your everyday driver's got an 1835 single port with big valves, ported heads and twin carbs. No, no, I had, um, a single 40, uh, yeah, a 40, I had a 40 IDF on it. Oh, 40 IDF, dual. Yeah, single one. In, two, one. two runners. In the middle, yeah. Nice. How'd that car run? Um, I had, I had, a, had a, a fairly uh, racy cam in it, which um, anybody that runs these single twin choke carb on them know that you don't get a very good idle. And they're tricky to get to s stop stumbling. Right, because the, the firing order and there's no balance tube on it. Yeah, and also there's um, not enough... You don't, the carburetor doesn't get enough signal on the idle circuit. Right. But I used to drive it flat out everywhere, so it didn't really matter. <laughs> but, you um, you it, mastered the two-footing driving experience at the stoplights and keeping it running and... But hand-braking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was a quite, quite a quick car. It yeah. was quite a quick car. Back in the day, you got to remember what was about. Then. No, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah. a stock Beetle would run 24 seconds in the quarter mile. So anything, yeah. you know, anything picking up faster than that. I mean, and you're out there driving this hot, hopped up Beetle. Uh, are you, is there any kind of street scene where guys are meeting up and maybe racing in back alleys and stuff like that or any of this stuff? We, we did, back in the day, there was a lot more, not actual street racing, not around where I lived. Um, but what there was, was anybody with a sort of a quickish car, or what they class as a quick car, and back then there was things like 3,000cc Capris, that we had 3-litre Capris, mm -hmm. um, V8 Rovers, stuff like that, and the Beetle would blow them away up to about 100. After about 100? Yeah. So you're talking, you're doing like freeway, freeway racing? Basically, highway racing yeah coming up to traffic lights and if anybody's got anything a bit warm you'd hang back and you know yeah so not like it was in the states obviously right but, um there was, was things like triumph dolomite sprints which were back then they were classed as quite quick cars or marina 1800 tcs people thought they were quick they weren't yeah um but the beetle off the lights just absolutely nailed them and, nice and uh, i used to regularly come up against this guy in a three litre Capri um, at the same traffic lights when we, we must have left work similar times and uh, he never ever beat me away from the lights yeah and, so yeah. that's I mean that's got to give you a good feeling right so you're beating these newer cars and you're in your old Beetle that everybody kind of looks at like what's this old bu bucket of bolts doing over here so the, the, is it do you think it's the underdog aspect of Volkswagens that kind of pulls you to them yeah, I reckon it must be. I never really thought about it before, but it's nice having something that's quick, you know, that isn't expected to be quick. I used to get, because I used to drive fairly quick, mm -hmm. and we had some big roundabouts around near Farnham, and there was one big roundabout that was probably about, probably about four or five lanes wide. Oh, really? And you could really get some speed up on it. Yeah. And I used to go around that roundabout, um, 
little bit of opposite lock and you know really powering around it yeah just kind of drift around that what they call drifting nowadays kind of bring not really but sort of a neutral drift you know not 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 hanging the back right out yeah yeah just barely pushing the edge where you were just pushing the back of it out and i i was I, i was pulled up for speeding on roundabouts by the police and stuff and and I just said it was in a 70 mile an hour limit and I was doing 70, what's the problem? <laughs> and um, often I, I got, I, I used to get pulled up quite a bit. Yeah. Thinking about it now, it's not surprising really. Yeah, did you, yeah. I mean, were they, did you kind of start uh, having to pay attention obviously where you're going, looking for these cops and making sure nobody's bothering you? Do yeah. you? Does there, do you run across a, a, a scene of people? I mean, what's the first show you start going to? Do you build a drag car? Like, how does it evolve into um, you racing? All oh, right. That, um, I was, I was, I'm not just, I was, wasn't and I'm not just into Volkswagens. Mm-hmm. I like all sorts, hot rods. Um, I, I, I built, I built hot rods with V8s in and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I used to go to a local drag place, which was not really a drag strip. It was an airfield that they used to shut off at the weekend. A place called Blackbush. Yeah. Uh, in, sort of near Fleet Way in, in England. And um, and this is in the 70s still? Oh, yeah, yeah. And we used to go up there and I used, I used to run the Beetle. They didn't call it Run With Your Brung then. They called it something else, which mm-hmm. I can't remember. And it, between some of the racing, we used to just take cars around and and uh, and it, yeah, I mean, and just kind of call people out and say like, hey, I want to race you, let's go out here. It 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 ran, I mean, at that place, it ran fourteen nine fifteen one, which is something like that. very. I mean, when people think like it doesn't sound fast at today's standards, a, a, a new Chevelle in the states would run maybe a mid fourteen like a big block Chevelle, which is going to be your super fast car. The Mopars, which everybody thinks were faster than they were, those were, you know, 15-second cars all day. So when you're talking 14 seconds, I mean, that's flying yeah, for a Volkswagen. Yeah, it did a few 49s, but mainly it's sort of 15.1 or 15.2. Was there other people out there in Volkswagens with you? No. You were the only guy out there? That... With a Volkswagen, yeah, there's all sorts of other stuff. Really? Most of it was slower. And did people, after a few a few weekends of you coming out there and racing, people stop wanting to race you or what? Uh, they, no. Or you'd wait for the new guy to show up? No, they they used to pull out of the line. Really? Oh, if they were lined up against you, they didn't want to get shamed against the Beetle? <laughs> that happened later on in, in um, when I started racing this, the, uh, the one that we raced in the 80s. Really? The 1303 that's up there. Yeah. Um, people so, I mean I, I was I wouldn't say I was known in the hot rod world mm-hmm. but quite a few people knew the car that I built because it, it didn't follow the rules of building a hot rod it was my right. way of doing it which car is this? it's a 1952 Ford Prefect I don't even know what a Ford Prefect is, is it a car? it's like, like a four door Anglia okay like you have yeah, in the yeah, States yeah. it's like a four door one of those um and it's, it's it had a fairly well tuned two eight nine, and it would have four speed uh, Borg Warner. So you always liked being something unsuspecting that kind of surprises people. That's like that's your that's your thing where you get maybe your kicks, huh? What you say? What you say really float my boat when I was a kid. <laughs> I'd buy a magazine called Hot Car. Yeah. And I, I had that. I started 
uh, reading that back in the si late 60s when I was at school. And um, I always used to turn straight to the reader's cars page, not reader's wives, reader's cars page, yeah. because I was always impressed with the people that did engine conversions. Yeah, I mean, the engine conversions are the fastest way to make something fast, right? Just yeah. swap in a big motor. So you've got the Beetle running. It's it's the 70s, and uh, you're out there running. What did you say it was called Blackbush? Yeah, Blackbush. It was Blackbush Airport, and we used to, now and again, they used to do the drag racing. And so you're out there kind of just trying to catch a race on a Saturday night, things like that, and you're between the Ford and the Beetle, depending on what you want to take out for the night. Oh, no, in the 70s, I didn't have I didn't have that. So you got the Ford I, later. I built, I built that in uh, 1982. Okay. So you've got you, you've got the Beetle, you're running it just for fun. You're not campaigning oh, yeah. a car. No, no, just turn, turned up. Let's have a go. Yeah. You know, and uh, did they ever race for money out there? No, no. It was just for just for pride. Just see what your car will run. Yeah. You know, just like a really laid back run with your brung these and days. And what, what was the fastest car around back then that you remember? Um, Any cars you remember that just had this? history was, to them there was proper race cars there as well so yeah there was um uh there was a willie's a willie's coupe called slick willie yeah that ran quick there was a ford a ford pop or as you know in anglia called um oh, it's really it's really well known i'm trying to remember the name of it now um it was built by mickey bray and raced and it had a i think it had a 440 in it with twin twin four barrels and a high rise and stuff and that ran, that was strict, fully street legal and that ran 11s, which was well quick back in the 70s. And all this time you're still working at Autocavan? Um, no, I, was, um, I worked at Autocavan for about three years. Uh -huh. And then um, I went and did something else for, for a bit. So got out of the VW trade for a little while? Y yeah, yeah. Did something else. And then how do you, how do you end up getting back into it? Um, I... Uh, was still with um, the girlfriend, stroke wife, at the time, and saw Jeff Thomas again, and he needed a manager. I'd been managing a workshop, um, a commercial workshop, and um, he needed a manager for the uh, Ipswich branch of Vaucravan. So we had a discussion and decided that I'd take over as a manager there. It, I took over there in 1986. So you went back to Autocavan in 86. But in Ipswich, which is about 150 miles from Farnham. So we, we moved to Ipswich. So now you're in a whole different area now. Yeah. Move, move your whole thing. And now you're back in kind of the VW business. Yeah. And do you, start, you still have the 70 or do you look for another car and find another car? No, I, I, um, that, that, died, that died a death. Yeah, what few, happened few to the 70? What, what, what's the story with the 70? Um, I, uh, it, I didn't have much time to work on it. It got a little bit tatty. And uh, a friend of mine had a Rover P6 V8. And um, it broke down. And I was, I was towing it to the workshop with the Beetle. And uh, the workshop was about 15 miles from where I lived. You were towing a car with the Beetle? Oh, yeah. Yeah, no problem. <laughs> and um, on a rope. Mm -hmm. And I was going down a dual carriageway. You're probably down about 50 and um, somebody pulled out of a lay-by straight in front of me. I put the brakes on, the rover hit it out of the back. Oh, wow. And um, it, it cracked the engine case and destroyed the back of the car, basically. So, oh, that's a bummer. 
yeah that was um that was that so so that all that motor you had all that time effort and energy into was it dust done, that quick it had done quite a, quite it done a few years and a lot of thrashing yeah but yeah it was a yeah it was a it was a pretty quick 1835 to be yeah, honest. especially for a single yeah. port motor yeah right i mean that's pretty impressive for a, a single port 1835 to run a 14 second pass that's hauling the mail yeah, I mean, reg more regularly it did 15s, but um, yeah, it did it did a couple of 49s, and I was I was stoked. Yeah, so you get you get working over there at the new or back at uh, Auto Caban in '86. <clears throat> now you decide you want to get back. You, you kind of get the the desire to get back into racing. It wasn't it wasn't me actually. Mm -hmm. What happened was the first bug jam came in 1987 and um, between between us we decided that we needed a car to take to, to the first bug jam just to showcase the stuff that we sold and what we could do so we we chose a 1303 that had been in the company for a long time and um, built a 1968cc engine for it which was really basic a welded crank and uh, standard con it was a real cheap engine yeah uh, standard rods that I'd modified changed the rod bolts and had it balanced and polished the beams and that sort of stuff we had to keep it we had to keep it down and um, we did the suspension because I, I like handling as well and like uh, for for autocross and stuff like that you're talking yeah, about or on the road you know something that really handles right. and um, <clears throat> I know that I know that the super beetles can handle that. They're, they're my favourite beetle. To oh be yeah, well, well it, for road handling, it's the best beetle. They're my favourite beetle anyway. Yeah, and it upsets a lot of people because no, not really many people like them. I'm only meant to like ovals and early stuff apparently, but I love 1303. I like them all. Yeah, yeah. and um, I um, oh, we did the suspension ni nicely, front and rear roll bars, lowered it. We had some MP8 spokes on it. Yeah, and uh, Pirelli P7s, and um, yeah, basically. So you're building this to be kind of a, kind of an all-around vehicle. It's going to be like it's going to be fast, but it's really designed to be really sporty Super Beetle. Like it's going to be the fast all-around car. Yeah, we we widened the front wings a little bit. I mean, that was the in 1987 the whole goal behind building your customized car was to make it more modern, make it like update everything on it, whether it's, you know, some guys would do power windows, some guys would do, uh, you know, the custom stereos, like anything you could to make it more updated and modern, you know, because the Beetle was so basic. And so it makes sense that in 87, you're like, we're going to build this thing and outfit it with the best suspension, the best, the best of all the bits and make kind of and this was going to be kind of a shop car uh yeah basically yeah it was um for displays shows or what to showcase a lot of people at the time were wanting to buy all the chrome timware and all that sort of stuff which i know i've never liked i don't i don't see the point of it but people used to want it so we supplied it so we outfitted the engine with the accessories the the little bug pack breather boxes and the alley valve covers and the, you know the shiny tinware and all those sort of little bits and pieces 
that people could see on a car and then they think oh yeah I'd like that and they used to come into the shop and buy it and stuff and um, we had the old MP8 spokes um, and uh, and the car sat low but correct for the suspension geometry right. not low to be scraping the ground or anything well else. and you probably did wider uh, tires on it so that it had a little more grip yeah we had um, Pirelli P7s which were um, 195 50 15s on it. That's a pretty fancy tire for a Volkswagen Beetle. Yeah, it was um, suited it. Especially in 87. I mean, nobody's running 195 50s on, I mean, they're still running 135. I mean, some of the guys in the street are on 135s and 145s, which is yeah. a little narrow tire and 165 in the back. So, I mean, for, for a lot of people, that's the look they want. Mm-hmm. But when you, if you're going quick and you, you turn into a bend or a roundabout, then you've got to do some fancy work on the steering wheel and the throttle to try and get them to go around, haven't you? Yes. Whereas um, the 1303, the way we set it up, um, the handling was fantastic. Yeah. You could chuck it sideways at 80 mile an hour and hold it there, full opposite lock. Really? Oh, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. Stayed flat, like nice and flat. Oh, yeah, yeah. And um, we used to laugh our heads off driving it. So you're driving this car for a while, building it as a round, like just an all-around performance vehicle. And then, and then what happened? After the for Bug Jam One was such a success, really. It was only a one-day event. It was such a success, and there was quite a few fairly quick Beatles there. And um, we started chatting you know, with, um, you know, Keith Hume, I presume, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, he was. I think he was. I think he'd started Volksworld then because mm-hmm. he was doing. Custom, he was editor of Custom Car at the same time as Volksworld. He started that magazine, and um, I, I, I knew Keith fairly well, and we we discussed things, and then people got talking, and they and they were on about Bug Jam Two, and um, we thought we discussed starting a Volkswagen drag racing club. So. When the Volkswagen Drag Racing Club had a its inaugural meeting, I suppose, mm-hmm. to discuss whether it was a feasible op- opportunity to actually have a Volkswagen Drag Racing Club, when it was realised there was enough people to get interested in doing it, we then converted the super handling car into a drag car. Into a straight line car. But it car. was still an everyday car at that point. So what, ty- what, what was the first thing on the list to do to that car to modify it? Um, the first thing was an engine with some real bit more horsepower. So what'd you put? Um, I built a 2110 for it and I used to scat split port heads on it. Oh really? And um, that caused a, a bit of a problem. I had to build the engine about five times. With the split port heads? Yeah. Really? The reason for that was trying to get a cam combination that worked with it because of the size of the intake ports the angle of the valves and everything that's different about those heads because I'm pretty sure they were built for um, like midget cars and aircraft where the RPM was up there. Yeah, it's just going to run at 7,000 RPM constantly. Yeah, Yeah, on planes, a lower RPM but consistent RPM. So um, trying to find a cam that I was happy with, I ended up um, trying about five different cams in it, obviously with a Beetle. It strip yeah. the engine, change the cam, do the geometry. It's a job. Yeah. Not like a V8 where you just pop the cam out of the front, <laughs> pop a new one in. Yeah. So when I 
when we um, got with got with a combination that was nice and talky, allowed enough revs, and it had enough drive, um, we were happy with that because it had, it had to be a street car as well. So Bug Jam Two shows up. Do you get the car built for Bug Jam Two? Um, Bug Jam Bug Jam Two. I at that point I still had the old 1968 engine in it. Okay. And we were starting to do big burnouts because I like burnouts. Right. And I think people like burnouts. Yeah. And so I was doing like 7,000 RPM burnouts in it. And um, it, it, in the class that I was in, it, it qualified the quickest for the street, in the street class. What, what was it running at the time? Trying to remember, I, it was running, um, it, I think it was, I think it ran 14.2 with that 1968 engine in. Okay. And that just had, and that was. Um, what carburetors were on it? It had 44 IDFs on it. So 44, so you weren't even trying, I mean, you could have gone bigger. Big, I mean, you're working for a place that has all the parts, so you could build the biggest monster you could. But, but this was the engine from the, from the year right, before. Right, so this um, year you, you made some modifications for Bug Jam 2. Yeah, for the first, yeah, well, actually, for, actually that's not correct. It wasn't Bug Jam 2, it was. That year we had three race meetings and it was at the first race meeting mm -hmm. when I started doing big burnouts on that because, you know, burnouts. Because you could, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, I, didn't, I wasn't running a sump extension because the year previously it was quite low and um, we, we didn't really need it at that point. And, or I thought we didn't. And anyway, the, the first round eliminations, I did a burnout, came out of the burnout, dipped the clutch and, and the engine stalled. I thought, oh, crank seized oh thank you very much oh, wow. obviously i had i had all starvation because of no no some extension stuff so you live and learn and so for the next meeting i took the engine out and um threw a ridiculous cam in it um that that um can't remember what cam it was but it was quite a hot cam and when I when I ran it up, it and I ran it up and down the um, the road where in this in the estate where we uh, got the workshop, it didn't it didn't want to rev. And because um, when you when you rebuild an engine, mm -hmm. you don't really want to go out and give it the big one, so you sort of right work your way up. up. Yeah, feel it up a bit, and it didn't want to. I kept driving it up and down, and it just didn't want to rev. And then I got angry with it. And I just revved, I just put my foot flat to the floor and thought, it's either going to blow up or it's going to rev. And it, when it went past about five and a half thousand revs, it really come on. Oh, really? Yeah, so there was, there was nothing under five and a half. Obviously, I'd chosen the wrong cam. Yeah. But, so to help it along, we put a Bob Hatton 40 horsepower nitrous oxide kit on it. Oh, for the bottom end? Just for, yeah, to give it a bit of a wake up. And... Um, we did one meeting with it like that, and it it ran thirteen. I think it ran thirteen two with 40, 40 horsepower of nitrous. Wow! And uh, on street tires, proper street tires. And then um, I was pre I was building the uh, twenty one ten with the scat heads, but because I had to keep taking it apart and trying different cams, I kept putting the old the old engine back in so I could still use it. And um, anyway. 
I tested, I took the car to the uh, Street Rod Nationals, uh, which was at Bruntingthorpe, when I put the 2.1 in, in engine it to test it. Because that was a weekend before the last race meeting. Okay. And um, I was testing it there on nitrous. With the 40 horse shot of nitrous? 40 horse shot on the nitrous with the 2110. And yeah. what's the setup on the 2110? Like, do, what, what kind of, does that have the, that's got the, the twin port scat heads? It had the, it had this. What cam was in that thing? It had. Uh, like a K89 or K87? I th it had a, it had a, it had a scat cam in it. Oh, okay. Which was. So like a C95 probably? No, no. No, the other, uh, that's what the, um. That's what the 1968 had in it. That was that mental cam. It had a C95? Yeah. Uh, that's it. That's what I remembered. The one that was in it was... Um, I rem all I remember is it had 332 degrees duration and about 530,000 lift. But that was a, it was a scat cam. And um, then when I was... Um, I was running that. And we were right, and at Bruntingthorpe, they used to have, where the Street Rod Nationals were, mm -hmm. um, they had, because it was an old, old uh, ex-American RF Air Force base, and they had a two mile long straight. And the, uh, the, Nationals, the National Association of Street Rods, they actually borrowed some um, lights, and they marked out quarter mile. And you could do a quarter, quarter mile run. There was no times; mm -hmm. we just just had the, the tree, and people with all sorts of cars, Chevys, and anything that had a decent sized engine, and it was running down the strip. And when you take a Volkswagen Beetle, or back in the day, you take a Volkswagen Beetle to a hot rod event, everybody laughs at you and jokes and points. And yeah, stuff. you're like, what's this thing doing here? Because at the time, people didn't know they could be quick. And anyway, I was I did quite a bit of running that weekend, and everything I raced I beat. Surprised a lot of people, huh? Yeah, and a lot of people were pulling out of the lineup when they knew they were going to be against the Beetle. Because they didn't they didn't want to get shamed in front of their friends. Exactly, yeah. And um, there was one guy with a with a twelve second um, fifty seven Chevy, mm -hmm. Paul Craven. Bless him, he's now not with us. <coughs> he came along and uh, he went, yeah, I'll race you. And he, he'd seen that the car had been nip, nippy. And anyway, I, I'd seen him at Santa Pod at Gary's picnic and stuff. So I knew his car was quite quick. So I was like, right, I'm on it. Yeah. And um, so I ran against him and blew his doors off. Oh, really? Yeah. And on the way back, I'll say return road, but it was just a bit further over. He come up next to me, and uh, he wound his window down, and he looked at me and he said, "What am I going to tell me, mate? Being beaten by a beetle?" <laughs> and you know that was his attitude. He went, "I'm never going to live this down." Yeah. And um, I'd since after that, I'd raced him at Santa Pod as well and beat him there as well. Really. But um, but he was one of the only ones that really wanted to race against a beetle. He wanted, I mean, he, he saw that you were you were feisty and trying to take people out, so he was up yeah. for the challenge. He was, yeah. No, that's good. He was a really good bloke. Yeah, it's what makes good sportsmanship, right? Like if somebody sees a, sees a challenge and wants to yeah. wants to take it out. Anyway, the next race meeting, which was the third one 
of the VWDRC, which the first year we only had three meetings. Mm -hmm. I just see how it was going to go. And then at that meeting, um, I basically ran a 12.27. Wow. All it had from it being a streetcar, which I used to use it to go to work and back. Well, it's a, it's a super beetle, right? Yeah. It's heavier than a regular beetle. Yeah. Yeah, quite a bit heavier. And yeah. It, and it ran, it ran, quick as it ran that on that meeting was a 1227 with a 40 shot, a 40 shot of gas. 40 shot of nitrous and you're running what carburetors on it? Um, 48 Delortos. So you, you moved up the 48s, you're on the yeah. 40 shot of NOS. Yeah. And then you're running 1228, which is really impressive. And this is a motor that's together for how long? Um... Well, it, I'd only done the Street Road Nationals in it. Nice. And, um, yeah, I was, and that's on proper street tyres, none of these cheaters. No slicks, nothing. So you're, no. you're spinning off the line, all that stuff. Yeah, massive burnout. Good excuse for a good burnout. <laughs> yeah. I was using Yokohama A8Rs, which are a soft tyre, but proper street tyre, you know, with proper amount of tread on and stuff. Not like some of them have got about three mil of tread. Yeah. And... Um, and took the silencer off and put a stinger on. It had alternator on it, fan belt, and everything else. So it was turnkey driver running 12s. Yeah. Nice. And what was the compression on that motor? Um, 10 to 1. So 10 to 1 compression with a shot of gas. That's that's really respectful for 1227s. And this is in the 80s, like a 80, that probably was, 88? That was, that was 1988, yeah. Yeah, so 1988. And so now that you're starting to run a little bit faster, you're, you're really enjoying this drag racing thing? Oh, yeah. I, I used to run cars that run with your brungs anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, we, uh, yeah and then uh, we did, did pretty well. Second year, um, won the championship. Uh, third year, won the championship. Um, <laughs> but we went from street to super street. Yeah. And then, then we... After the first year of super street, we were allowed to run slicks, so... The car was exactly the same, but I just put slicks on it. Now, are you guys, at the time that you're racing, are you guys checking out what's happening over there in the States, like oh, what yeah. you guys are doing over there? Yeah, we had all those, um, all the stateside videos. <coughs> the know, PRA videos and all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we were nothing like that, obviously. There was a couple of cars that were pretty quick in the modified class. Mm-hmm. And that was Terry's Beatles. They were just mental. You just didn't know what was going to happen, whether we're going to have a meltdown or whether it's going to go quick. <laughs> and because um, they're, yeah, because um, they had two drivers. They had Luke, who was, uh, he owned his, uh, he owned the company, Derry's Beatles. And um, yeah, he had to, oh, I've got brain fade now, I can't remember. But he had, t- he had two drivers in the car. Basically it was him and his um, mechanic guy. Okay. Why can't I remember his name? That's all right. Because you didn't. See, if you knew you were going to be tested today, you would have studied. Oh yeah, yeah would have done. Yeah, <laughs> I know him. I can see him. Yeah, he, he builds. He owns the cog box now, and he builds a lot of racing gearboxes. Oh okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've. Uh, I'll, I'll get there eventually. Yeah. No, I I talked to him at the last Volksworld show. Yeah. And um, yeah. So so these guys. So you you run the second season now of the V the what is it the VWDRC VWDRC. And who are the guys that are running back then in those days? Um, Bernie Smith. He, um, he'd been racing a Beetle, actually, for a few years before that. Yeah. Um, yeah, off his own. He used to ra- race in regular drag racing, where they do all the 
weird powder weight and that sort of stuff I don't understand. Mm -hmm. um, there was um, John Mayer. He came along with uh, the Mr. Beetle Oval. Mm -hmm. um, Jim uh, Calp, Stateside. There was... Um, who else was there? A friend of mine, Jim Bowen, who is now my um, crewman. Yeah. He, he, he won a few championships with... Uh, a race car called Beetlejuice. No, I remember Beetlejuice. Yeah, yellow, yellow yeah. Beetle. Yeah, yeah. He was a, he was a good driver, good mechanic, consistent. He won the championship a few times. And so, you guys are obviously the 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 drag racing community up here is pretty, pretty tight knit. It's small, yeah. Yeah. What's some of the stuff that starts to push the hobby? I mean, who's the guy that? You know, we show up next year and then so-and-so pulls out of this and everybody's like, wow, this guy shipped this over from the States and now he's really going to cause trouble for us over here. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the first car that I knew of that was shipped over was a Speedster that Brian, Brian Burroughs. Oh, yeah. The, was it Brian Burroughs? Brian Burroughs, yeah. Actually, I think, I think somebody else bought that over first. It was uh, Brett Hawksby, I think, bought that over first. Okay. And then Brian either bought it or sponsored him or something. Um, and that was, I can't remember whose one it was, but it was a Speedster that was turboed. And um, that ran okay, but didn't run as hot as we thought it was going to. Mm -hmm. And then there was the Decoppen car, the red Decoppen car that um, Mark... I can't remember his name either. Mark, somebody, he was from the German car company. Okay. Mark, Mark Osborne. Mm -hmm. And they, they ran that car and that took a while to get that going. That was another turbo car. So people were just deciding like, I'm going to go buy a car that was campaigned in the States yeah. and bring it over because you guys are kind of fumbling through this, figuring it out on your own over here. Yeah. You don't have Ron Loomis. You don't got all these guys over here that are, you know, hitting 15 races a year and doing all this stuff and getting everything figured out. And they've got... 20 customers so they're able to produce parts test parts do all that stuff a yeah. lot more and most of you guys out here are doing it right out of hobby yeah we we were <clears throat> we were learning as we went along yeah um and if somebody did quite often i uh, people look to see what we were doing on our car mm -hmm. and very often um use the same sort of ideas and then i was building engines for people to race so first off if they're not if they're not full on racers and they're not really mechanically minded you had to build them an engine to suit them you, something that's going to be reliable still quick but reliable that's that's the, that's the criterion mm -hmm. it's no good having an engine that does one meeting and then you've got to rebuild it for people that are, are doing it purely as a hobby mm -hmm. um, they've got their own goals they want to get out on the track and you give them an engine and we ended up with like a combination that worked not too much compression you know fk89 blah -de blah blah you know um we used to use a lot of delortos the old tri the tri-jet delortos you, why'd you the like delortos better than weber's um because they they run a lot nicer than idas and to be honest back in the day the availability of idas over, weren't wasn't really over here very much we had a, there was a few kicking about a lot of them were old cars that have been run on rallycross cars or stuff like that but um a lot a lot of the cars that people raced over here they used on the road as well and a, i i always found the delorto was a really nice car 
Um, they jetted nicely and they, they were pretty good on fuel for what you get. With you guys being over here on this side of the world and not having as many people drag racing, you guys were a little bit behind the guys in the States. What was it like and when was the first time you went to the States and saw what they were doing in the States? Um, <clears throat> probably about 89 or 90. It was the first time you went over to the States? Yeah. And you went there for business or you went there? Um, initially, the first time I went, it was actually for pleasure. Yeah. And did you time it with any racing stuff to go check out racing things? And Oh, yeah. Yeah, what'd you do? We went to um, Arizona to Firebird Raceway mm -hmm. to watch the, uh, the final, or yeah, the final of the PRA. And uh, yeah, blue blew my mind to see all those drag cars there and all yeah. that stuff going on uh, one thing i couldn't understand was how how many gearboxes broke yeah <laughs> i i i've broken a few i tell you but um even um i saw the berg car there and um i thought i'd read that they don't break gearboxes but um that that year um they broke at least two on the sat on the saturday <laughs> Well, and, it, and what's crazy is sometimes when, when they show up at a track, like if you guys are racing at a, at a runway and stuff like that here, these aren't prep tracks. They're not, you know, professionally maintained. And then you get out to a racetrack right there where it's unbelievably sticky and you're, you're always expecting a little bit of slip, but you get out there and that thing locks and it's game over for all, all your parts that require yeah. a little bit of, a little bit of slippage. Yeah. But, I mean, our, our tracks weren't that great. They were prepared. But they weren't weren't that great. It's a little colder over here. So in, in Arizona, even in October, it'll get warm. It's lovely, and yeah. it'll warm that it'll warm that asphalt up. Uh, we I think we were probably the only people in t-shirts because <laughs> it's cold for them, I suppose. But right. yeah, it's lovely for us. And so, what, what what was your experience like when you saw like what was happening in the states? Like, what what, what was the feeling you got when you got to the states? Um, I I felt like I'd arrived home. Really. We went into LA, got a hire car, and then just drove straight down to um, Arizona. Well, the intention was to drive straight down to Arizona, but after about 100 miles, I could hardly keep my eyes open because I can't sleep on a plane. Yeah. And we pulled into this place. I, I can't remember what road it was on, but it was the main route through. Mm -hmm. And we pulled off the highway and turned up to the, up this little place called Banning, Banning? Yeah, it's a, it's about 100 miles from L.A. Mm -hmm. And um, it was like, at that point, it was like going back in time. There's pickups everywhere. There's people on horses. We stopped at a place called Grandma's Kitchen, which had had a had a, like an old um, like an old cowboy um, trailer outside, like the, like they used to like, or the, like the Indians were in or something like that. Yeah. And um, we stayed there. Had like a covered wagon out front. That was it. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> and I just imagined myself driving a few miles further in and starting up my own little workshop, repairing anything I needed doing. <laughs> it looked yeah. like the place you wanted to be. I thought, I know I'm not meant to be in the states forever, yeah. but I'd love to be here with my own little workshop, tucked away, repairing stuff, <laughs> building hot rods, yeah, racing Volkswagens. But, as long as nobody knew I was there and send me home, be all right. 
Yeah. So when you go to the drag racing, are you walking through the pits, checking out people's cars, oh, doing yeah. all that stuff? Yeah. What's the What's the one of the things that really, you know, like you go there and you see something, you think, when I go back, we're changing to this and we're doing this and we're doing that. Or do you remember anybody you ran into during that that really gave you some good insight and advice? Um, <clears throat> a lot of people were busy on their cars, so yeah. I know I know not to, you know, mess with them then. But looking around the cars a bit later, I spoke to um, yeah, there was a there was a real old timer there. I can't remember his name now, but he had a he had a roof chop thirteen oh three. Oh really? So he had a chop super it beetle. It, I'm just trying to remember. It wasn't Dean Lowry? Was it? Could, couldn't have been Dean Lowry. My, my, I don't know. But but he he had a super beetle, and obviously, I've got yeah. to think about them. You're right. But he had a he had a roof chop one, and uh, he hadn't been out for a bit, and he just had this on an old trailer, on the back of an old Toyota pickup, and he had this nine second car on it. <laughs> really? Yeah, and I'm like. And then, then next to it, there was somebody with an Arctic unit with all the, all the gear, you know. And there seemed to be, I thought it was all going to be um, big setups and stuff like that. Or not as big as they are now, but back then, um, I, thought, I thought it was going to be big setups with Arctics and, and, you know, all these big pickups with the fifth wheel right. trailers on them and that. Yet, there were some of them. But a lot of them but, were, a lot of them were people like us. Yeah, you could tell it was really just a yeah. grassroots type thing, like like as the well, same yeah. as here, right? But obviously, you've got your people that are right at the forefront of it. You know, Ron Townsends and and uh, people like that. And um, there was one of my favourite cars back then was um, were the turbo cars, to be honest. Yeah, and you guys weren't running turbos over here at the time. Um, Keith Hume was running a turbo in a Beetle. Yeah. At that point, he he ran he ran a K K World Turbo setup on a, with a draw through um, side draft uh, on a car that had been Bernie Smith's at the time, mm -hmm. and he ran that in 1989. I think that was when the other turbo cars had come over from the states, and uh, his was actually running better than they were. Really? Yeah. Um, but I like the sound of the turbo. I'd seen, I'd seen the PRA videos, you know, those st street video or street scene, some of those. Yeah, yeah. Some I, of those. Yeah, I used to try and get hold of them. And so you get back to the States, or you get back from the States, and what's your plan of attack? I mean, what do you, what do you, start, to, what do you start to think that the answer is to start going really fast? I mean, anything you picked up while you were out there? that you thought you might start implementing or when Keith starts doing turbo, everybody starts may maybe messing with turbos and stuff. What's the evolution from that? Um, the evolution from that really was um, I thought about putting a turbo on it. Mm -hmm. um, and at this time, you're still working for Auto, auto oh, yeah, Caban? Definitely, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah I, worked, I worked for them until 96. Oh, okay. So you're in the, the, quite a while. I was there. I was there as managed for 10 years, yeah. And in the best era for the Volkswagen drag racing. Sure, sure. Uh, for the air-cooled stuff. And, and, it's, and it's a little easier when you're working for a place that can kind of foot the bill for some of the parts, right? I mean, they, Oh, yeah, they, definitely, they, yeah. So you're doing that, and are you building motors for anybody else at the time or just for you? No, we, would, we, had, we ran a workshop, 
So you guys would build, if somebody wanted a race motor, you'd build it for them? Yeah, we built race cars, race motors. Um, really? I never did gearboxes for people because I didn't class myself as um, professional enough to mm -hmm. be actually offer that service, even though I built my own. Um, and I, I did end up doing some gearboxes for people after they'd had bought pro-built gearboxes mm -hmm. and they had a problem with them. I'd strip them down, see what was wrong with them, and you're like, even some people imported some gearboxes from the States from well-known gearbox places. And when I looked at them, some of them were appallingly bad, really? badly assembled, yeah. I mean, just... I'm not going to make... They, they, they weren't put together correctly or they were used with stock parts or... Too much, too much clearance. And um, where, where they'd machined something wrong, they sent a punch around where the bearing went and put the Loctite on it and stuff. On a race box. Nah, come on, that's just not on, is it? Yeah. Well, and there's always, you know, when, when there's a big demand for people, sometimes people's attitude or might be like, oh, they'll take it out, break it anyway, it doesn't matter, let me just get them through a couple of races. It might well be, but, um, <coughs> so I ended up doing, I ended up doing some gearboxes for customers that I'd done engines for, and they bought gearbox and had problems with them. And I, I then, obviously they were good customers, so I said, like, I'll look at your gearbox, see what we can find out, and then I put them right. <coughs> And um, I helped out like that, but uh, I was self—I've self-taught on the Volkswagen racing gearbox thing. So gearboxes—I mean, that's that's a whole different animal than engines. Yeah. Oh yeah, def totally different. Yeah. I mean, that's all fitment and press and alignment and those types of things. Yeah, and you know, it's all about how much preload you're going to give the side covers and and all that sort of stuff, and that's something that. Nobody can tell you really. Mm -hmm. It's something that you just have to. I mean, I built built a gearbox for this. Got a Rhino case in it. And um, how many it, passes you got on this? Um, on the gearbox. Yeah. About sixty, something like that. Sixty. And what's the and what is the secret to keeping a gearbox alive? Being a bit of a pansy on the clutch. Yeah. Don't don't sidestep it and kind of. Yeah, I've um, you know, <coughs> I hold the handbrake or the staging brake, have it in gear, bring the clutch up till you can just feel it, just nip the back, and then just ease it in, take all the slack out of the transmission, and any any of the drive shaft bits or anything, and then. I mean, I I, I don't sidestep it. I never have done, but um, I've broken enough gearboxes. But a lot of that was because I wasn't preloading it and I was doing a burnout. For some reason, you end up doing what other people do. <laughs> do you know what I mean? A hundred percent. You know, everything changes till you, till, till, till you roll the first light, till you break that first yeah. beam. And then all of a sudden you get a little hypersensitive. It just happened to me. I, I, I bought my first drag car uh, I bought from a friend. And it's kind of a garage-built drag car, but the whole thing, motor and everything, for five grand. So I thought, shoot, I'll take this. I bought the motor, or I bought the car. It's red like yours, and I took it to one of the Fast Four cartel races, or it was the first Volks Group race. And I was there with my buddy Johnny, and we were running. And, uh, you know, the cars, it's real remedial. It's an e-brake, hold up the e-brake. There's no, you know, now I'm putting a, now I'm putting a two-step on it and a handbrake so that I can do less thinking at the light. You know what I mean? Cause no, you don't, last thing you want to do is keep the e-brake up when you're trying to race and all this stuff. And, and, and with me, it was funny. I talked to Doug Berg and he looks at me, he says, you don't have anybody to beat but yourself, man. 
He says, you just focus on your race. He says, you're just driving the car. You just got to do it the same every time. And I, I didn't understand that one, but then I got up to the line and I'm looking at the guy next to me and I'm, and I'm seeing if he's staging or, or what, you know, what's going on. And, and then I'm, I start, I overwork it in my head, Yeah. completely change my game plan, you know? And, uh, that happens quite easy. Actually. Yeah. And, and, and it was funny because it, you know, we're, we're talking seconds. You have seconds to kind of get your whole life together to where you're like, okay, repeat these three steps and bang and go. I mean, this, this year, a couple of meetings ago, I just something I've never done before. And I, I queried myself, why did I do it? I did a, I did a burnout, came out of the burnout, went up to the line, left it in second gear, fried the clutch. <laughs> I've never done that and I've done hundreds of passes. Yeah. Uh, and why did I do it? I don't know. I won't do it again though. Yeah. But, you know... Um, I, I did it and it yeah just destroyed the pressure plate it's it, it, it's interesting because everybody can talk a good game from the sidelines when they're watching the racing and you're you're behind that wheel with that pressure and it's it's bad enough that you're racing the guy next to you when you got stands full of people it's a whole nother there's just all this pressure and all you're trying to do I, I equate it to when I was there for the fat for that Volks group race I had a bunch of friends that were there, people that know me from the podcast, and everybody's excited to see me race. And, and it's like when you go golfing with different friends, and one tells you to do this, the other tells you to do that, this is how you should swing, and then in your head you're sitting there getting ready to tee off, and you've got what this guy told you and what that guy said, and you're trying to kind of take it all together for one simple swing. It's the same thing. It's one swing. you know. And a friend of mine explained to me the same way. He says, it's one swing. All the clubs are different. The clubs are the distance. It's the same swing, you know, because you change, you change everything up every time. And then, you, you know, you're, you're, you're looking at something, you're assessing it differently. And, and I, I saw that with the, uh, <clears throat> at when I was drag racing and I've done a bunch of street, street, street car racing when I've good, like a test and tune night, stuff like that, where I just, you know, I do a little preload with the e-brake and I wasn't really that concerned. I was more, I was more trying to get a fast time. I wasn't worried about beating the guy next to me, <clears throat> but when I was running these races recently, we had a dial-in class, and then the dial-in put all the pressure on me, you know, and I'm like... That's what, that's what we do. Yeah, and, I, and, and, and in my head, I'm just, I'm overthinking it so much. Yeah, so, so the goal is to try to just be consistent, you know? <clears throat> yeah. I mean. But, so you, so you campaign the car for, <clears throat> what's the fastest you get that car to run, and what are the different general stages of that car? What, the, what, the 1303? Mm -hmm. um, basically, when I... When I turboed it, um, what turbo kit did you use? Dave Kaywell. Oh, so you got a Kaywell turbo setup on it? Yeah, the old Ray J and the Side Drive Forty Eight, um, and a Magneto. That was it. Nothing else. No rev limiter. Basic. No yeah. Basic. Yeah, that's basically what this is, really. Mm -hmm. And um, the quickest that car went was um, well, it. I had a couple of spurious runs at another track and it ran quicker, but I never really, I never really claimed that much because I, I don't know, just, just didn't, I didn't feel it. Mm -hmm. Whereas the other, the, it ended up doing 10, 1065, 126. Oh, wow. That's, That's what fast. It did. Um, and it was still, it was still street legal. That's a fit. So this, did it have a big wing and all that stuff on the back of it by the time you guys were done with it? Um, 
So it I, didn't I, have. I put a wing on the roof. But it didn't have the big aluminum boxes on the back like no, all the all no. the turbo cars in the states had and no, all that stuff. It's just a floor, just a floor pan car with struts at the front, obviously. No, uh, caged or just a. Had a, a bolt-in safety devices cage, which are illegal now. You can't yeah. drag race with it now. <laughs> so this was bare bones. And the fastest you the fastest you got it down to was how fast again? Ten sixty five. Ten sixty five, and that's that's moving. Twenty six. Yeah, it, it was. It started. The handling went off. As they, I t uh, I raced that in ninety three with a turbo, and that's basically the last year I raced until recently. And so you did. You haven't raced since when? I, um, what, I mean, you stopped racing in 96? I stopped racing in 93. In 93. Because I started building a car that was going to optimize the regulations. Mm -hmm. I was building a chrome molly tube frame car with a floor pan, street legal. And um, basically around then where my marriage went wrong, mm -hmm. I was spending too much time at the garage, et cetera, et cetera, you know, usual. And um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I built the car at the point where it needed paint and wiring and stuff. I realized that it was a car that I couldn't really run myself. I had ladder, ladder bar rear, uh, narrow, narrowed axles. Uh, yeah, it looked like, looked like a proper race beetle, actually, as opposed to like a floor pan car like this one. Cause, right. I mean, you've only got to look at it, see where it sits. It's a floor pan car. You know, I've raised the engine and box a little bit, um, but... You can't really do any more than that without upsetting the way the suspension works. So, with that car, it it was a thir still the thirteen oh three. I used the thirteen oh three body shell. Oh really? Because uh, that basically that car in ninety three ended up having handling problems, and I I ended up running the boost from eighteen pound down to twelve pound to try and keep it in a straight sure. line, and it was probably only putting out about three twenty brake something like that, <laughs> and. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was, for back then, it was well quick. And so you stop racing, things kind of change for you in your life for a little bit. Yeah. Now, do you start building engines for people or what do you do? You kind of just pull back from the whole scene or what? No, um, I carried on at Autocavan till, till uh, 96. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up, basically what happened with that was, um, it was decided overall that they were gonna shut the workshops it was just business was slowing workshop. down everything was evolving out not, or not necessarily it was the uh, there was in the end there was nine branches of water van and i ran one of the branches and um it was it there was only i think there's only two workshops one at bournemouth and one in ipswich in the end and um it was deemed uh, more financially viable to spend more time selling parts mm -hmm. than uh and than and running a workshop because we had a shop as well um and i i did that for a bit to be fair and um it, it was, was time for a change yeah basically so Which, what what did you go do after that i went and worked at a volkswagen main dealer oh really yeah like at a dealership huh yeah now because you were trained and you had worked at these other places was it easy just to walk on there or did you have to prove yourself I had to prove myself, but it was a, a firm that was just down the road. Yeah. And because we used to run a workshop, we got a lot of their vehicles that they couldn't fix in our place to fix. Mm -hmm. Because the main dealers tend to like getting a car in, doing a quick diagnosis, blaming an ECU, 
Getting a new ECU. <laughs> yeah, put it in, and then finding it isn't that. Yeah. Oh, well. And then tell the customer that they have to go through that procedure and fit this and fit that. To, right, to get, process yeah. of elimination Which on the is, customer's wallet. And I've worked at a couple of dealerships where they've done that. That's insane. And I can't, I can't handle that. Yeah. Anyway, I worked there for six years, and then... Um, now, were you still involved in VWs at all, or you kind of took a break from the whole thing? Um, no, I still, I still ran Volkswagens on the road. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah, yeah. I've, I've virtually always had Volkswagens, I think. Yeah. And um, I, had a, I had an old T25 van, mm-hmm. panel van, that I put a tuned Golf GTI engine in it, took the old diesel lump out, put that in there. It was a bit of a tatty old thing, but it was well handy motor. Used to tow loads of stuff with it. So you you were always into mod stuff, and then what makes you decide? So from that time to this car, that's your drag racing break. Yeah, um, yeah, basically, yeah. Now, what's the story on unfinished business? Well, because I there's various things of this. First off, I'm an old git. Yeah. And obviously, getting older. Yeah. So time's limited for doing something like this. Mm -hmm. And I felt like, because I couldn't finish that last car and get that out on the track, I felt I could have gone quicker. So I was talking to my wife about, and she she knows that I'm right into the drag racing, whether it be V8s or Volkswagens or whatever, quick cars that Mm -hmm. handle or anything, you know. A petrol head, I suppose. That's what I am. I built a few cars at home. Meanwhile, built the 55 Chevy as a from the ground up. Built a 59 uh, Apache Chevy pickup. Nice. And I rebuilt my uh, 52 Prefect that I built originally in 81, 82. Still got them. And, um, and then um, I built a race... Uh, a race car for a friend of mine that he does track days in and then a friend of mine got a a Westfield kit car um, with a Suzuki Hayabusa engine in yeah that he was going to do track days in so stupidly I agreed to go along with him to this track day to the track day <laughs> and let, he let me have a drive in it and I was absolutely blown away with the handling and the yeah. performance. So I didn't have much money, but I needed one. So that's that was basically when I sold all the uh, the original turbo engine and the, and the tube frame with the floor pan that I was building up into the other car. Because I kept that for years, wanting to get on with it. Yeah. And I never did, so I ended up... Anyhow, I built a Westfield, and I, but I couldn't afford a Hayabusa engine. So I put a Honda Blackbird engine in it. Mm-hmm. And um, I did track days in it. And a couple of years later, I decided to turbo it. So I built a turbo system for it. With it made me only into coolers and that sort of stuff, exhaust. And, and um, that is, I've still got that. It's ballistically quick. Yeah. Um, it's, well, driving on a track, this is like a road course track? Yeah, like proper circuits, yeah. Yeah, th- that's a completely, you know, drag race too. And, I've taken a car to a road course and unless you've been on a, like a proper track like that, you've never driven until you've driven like that because it's yeah. flat out trying to push the limits of the car. Yeah. And you know, I, I did it in my nine nine six that I had 
And that's a, it, it was a fairly fast car, and it felt unbelievably slow because I just kept trying to beat my time around the track. But yeah, yeah. it's a it's an experience, and I and I and and I I, I lo- I'm the same. I love all motorsports. I love if I'm behind the wheel and I'm driving, I'm happy. And uh, you know, the you know, drag racing might be ten seconds in a straight line, but you're on that track, you're on it for thirty minutes. <laughs> yeah. And that's, I mean, that's some work, so. Uh, but with drag racing, it's trying to do it in a straight line, isn't it? That's the, yeah, that's that, the beauty it is. of it. Yeah, if you, get, if you get enough power, then you have a tough time keeping it straight and <laughs> keep it on the ground. But, um, so then you, you decide to start building this car. So, so you're running the track circuit, doing that stuff with your, your Blackbird car. And then what, what, um, what possesses you to get <clears throat> this? I just, I'd had this yearning for a long time to... Have, have a quick beetle on the road. And um, eventually I thought, I discussed it with my wife and we thought, right, not getting any younger, probably haven't got many years left when I can do anything. So I'm gonna give it one last shot. Nice. And I didn't build this car from scratch. It was built by somebody who wanted it as a show car, but they built it to basically look like a race car. Mm-hmm. So they had a proper roll cage put in it, um, had it painted, had a, a fairly mild engine put in it and stuff, uh, with standard gearbox. So it sort of looked the part, but you know, wasn't. So anyway, I looked at the car and it was nice. It was nicely put together. So I bought it, and then I've converted it into a race car. So you- so you end up finishing the job and making it a, a legitimate racer. Yeah. And um, I got it in 2019. I ran it for one meeting there. The engine that was in it seized up before I got to the end of the track. Oh, wow. And um, so then I, deci- I decided to build an engine. And what an engine you built. I'm looking at this thing so, here. What, what's, this, what's the setup on this motor that you got in here? Well, when I first built it, uh-huh. it was normally aspirated. Yeah. It's a 2276 with a scat crank, five and a half inch scat rods, JPM MS250 cylinder heads from Sweden, um, JPM five stud rocker assembly, JPM push rods. Um, it's got um, TP uh, tall steel lifters in it because they're mega lightweight. Um, uh, yes, yeah, um, and it's got a Ron Loomis turbo exhaust, um, one of his turbos with billet wheels and stuff, and a 750 Holly. And what's, have you had this on the rolling dyno? No. So you haven't dyno tuned it yet. You said originally you were you were working on it with EFI and- uh, when, when it was normally aspirated, it had EFI on it. Oh, it did. What, what EFI setup did you have on there? It was a, um, probably nothing you've heard of. It was an emerald. Um, K6. So something from over here? Yeah. And you couldn't find somebody that could help you get it tuned in enough to where you could be happy with the car? Yeah, I couldn't get it to launch properly. Mm-hmm. It was uh, just bogging off the line. And in drag racing, if anything bogs off the line, it's a pathetic time. Yes. End of story. It's no, no point even trying to go quick because it just won't. And the quickest I got it to go was a 12-0. And the engine put out 268 brake at 8,300 hmm. on the rollers. So that was way off what it should have run. And what? And so you decide to turbo it. You you leave the twenty two seventy six alone on the bottom end. What's the turbo setup? What's what's the compression on the motor? Um, nine point seven. 
And so 9.7, which is a little high for typically statistically, but I know other people that run a lot of high compression turbo yeah. motors. So you run a 9.7 and then you said this car you've had on only five pounds of boost. Yes. It's like, I, I had it on 14, but it wouldn't go in a straight line. It was wheel spinning. Just too much gear. power. It, yeah. For the setup. Mm-hmm. Right. Because you know, as well as I do, you can't just chuck an engine in a car and expect no. it to go quick. Everything's got to work right. Yeah. Um, my podcast with Ron Loomis, we talked about the importance of setting up your suspension so the car goes yeah. straight at hooks. I mean, there's so much time to be saved just in the suspension and, yeah. the, and the rebound of the shocks. I mean, everything. So, yeah, there's there's a lot to it, you know, I mean, especially when you're starting to put real power down. I mean, if you're just running a 14-second pass, there's... You know, it's not a lot going on there, but no, as soon you as can, you start... You, you can tweak that little tiny bit with tire pressures and RPM launch and stuff, but it's all in about the same window, isn't it? Yeah, when you start pushing past 11s and doing things like that and you're trying to go faster, all that stuff starts to matter because you're pushing a lot more mile an hour. I had a... Well, basically, the engine itself is the same as it was when it's normally aspirated, mm-hmm. apart from it's got a, a Ron Loomis tur- a turbo cam in it. I mean, I, I had... A bit of a discussion with Ron. I wanted to make all the intake stuff and everything myself because that's what I do. And um, and they had nothing that would fit the these heads anyway because they're they're different. So um, I just bought the base the basic bits I could from from Ron. But we had a good chat. I told him that I didn't want to have to launch it and bump it in on a two step. I wanted to boost it off the clutch. And so I, I told him what sort of times I wanted to run. Um, realistically, not, you know, what I'd really like to run. Yeah, not pie in the sky. Yeah. yeah, that's right, yeah. So I wanted to run some realistic times. Um, I told him I got a Type 1 transmission, which I'm not going to put a Type 2 transmission in. Um, and I said I want it boosting off the clutch. <laughs> And which obviously limits what turbo you can run. Yeah. So he did a turbo with a different um, housing and a different uh, billet wheels and stuff. And he matched it with one of his, um, P- it's got a PT2 cam in it. And um, he told me what compression ratio I need to run. So that's what I'm running. And um, I think it's putting out more power than. Um, because he basically said on about 14 pound boost, mm-hmm. it will deliver the power to run your times that you wanted. And I, I was looking at hoping 10 fives. And now you've had this car out. Yeah. And it's been kind of a battle getting it straight and getting it to go right. And and what what's it run for you? It's it's now run a, a 10.36 and 134 mile an hour. So you were hoping for 10.50s. Yeah. And you ran a 1036, and that's still with the car a little bit not under control. No, not the, where you want it to be. <clears throat> the car's, I think the car's somewhere near where it needs to be now, but we need some more boost. <laughs> um, and that's on five pounds of boost you ran a 1039? 1036. 1036. And five pound boost, yeah. On five pounds of boost, wow. Um, I, like I say, I did try it on 14 pound boost, but it wouldn't go straight and it was wheel spinning. So I tend to revert. I don't tend to struggle with something like that. I'll revert back on boost and then hopefully get it somewhere where it's a car I can trust and then move it on. And um, it's running um, 
I've run a few 139.60 foots, which is not, not bad. I've only got seven inch slicks and um, I've got a black magic centre plate and a stage one pressure plate, which is set up to give the best pressure. But um, I did try, when I ran a 1036, I tried, I thought, right, that's probably about as good as it's gonna get. I'll now put 10 pound through it and see where we go. I put 10 pound boost in it and uh, straight away it just 8,000 8, revs in first and second slip in the clutch. So, um, that's incredible. I mean, that's a lot, it just shows you got a lot of power in uh, there. I you, think, yeah, I think the power is obviously in this, in the turbo setup, but I think the heads are delivering more power than a lot. I spent a lot of time on the heads, even though they're really nice from, um, Johannes. You spent more time detailing them? Yes. Yeah. I've, I, over the years, I've, I've done some pretty good head work. For, for vehicles that have made good power for circuit races and so I've just got another once I had a you asked me earlier about who I spoke to um, it, when I was in America mm -hmm. and, and the person I remember speaking to now was Sean McCarthy oh yeah and we had a quite a long chat in a hotel um, lobby or where the you know he had a beer yeah. uh, about cylinder heads uh, about the way we, we had a good chat about cylinder heads and I, I realized a way that I do a lot of the head work is the way it, he, he said you're, you're spot on really what your what your way of thinking is so that that gave me a bit a bit of confidence that um, I was sort of going the right way with the way I because you had to visit I I haven't got a flow bench right but you have to i visualize the way the air goes through mm -hmm. right from the carburetor right through into the into the chamber and i've spoken to people about head work before and a lot of people are just involved in hogging the hot ports out as right. big as you can get them and that's not what i do yeah well it's funny with my uh, uh in my interview that i did with clyde berg he talks about being at the head shop with lonnie reed and a bunch of guys and they're all hanging out and Lonnie had a flow bench there, and so they're all mess with it. And they had some clay there, and you know Lonnie had these heads all hogged out and everything. And Ron go, and, and uh, I'm sorry, Clyde goes back in there and takes some clay and starts changing the port, making it a little bit smaller, and it flowed more, you know. And it's like, like you're saying, it's not all about hogging it out. It's about knowing how the air flows and making yeah. sure that you're able to get it to perform and getting the short-term radius to flow nicely and to get the bowl of the port under the valve and the the valve job and the way it flows past the valve into the port is the hardest area to get right and it's dead easy to put something out the big right but when you're flowing it around past the valve and um Way, uh, the way it flows around the side of the valve where it gets shrouded by the side of the, the barrel and stuff mm -hmm. like that. I mean, sometimes you, you, I, I found, especially on golf engines, running a, not a smaller valve, but not the optimum size in the old eight valve Golf GTI engines, we found running a smaller valve gave more flow around the side of the valve because of this small size of the bore, because they're only like 81 mil bore. Yeah. And by running the, the smaller valve than the optimum, what you'd think you could get in there, we actually got made more power. Hmm. Yeah, so. it's, 
it, there's a there's a lot of things in something that we've been doing for a long time engines as a as a automotive people there's a lot still to be learned because everything starts with theories and every now and again you'll get these changes in the way these theories work yeah. you know especially when it comes to racing you know i was watching my buddy and he was taken off and brought the front wheels up and he said i'm going to lessen my rebound on the front i said how's that going to affect the rear but it's all connected you know less rebound on the front the yeah. more you know the, the the more the less weight transfer and it's you know so it, it, it's interesting as we keep doing something we've been doing for a long time we can still find these little things that we can adjust and tweak to get you know a little more a little more what we're looking for for performance yeah so what's uh so what's the plan for this are you gonna bring this out how many more times you have to take this out is there some races this year or are you getting no, to I've, the end of the I've, year i've finished for now yeah i mean ten thirty six is pretty awesome yeah, I'm, to I'm, to run that you know so you see up up there yeah where it's got jb above it uh-huh that's what i was predicting i'd hope to do oh really 1034 1034 yeah, so i haven't quite hit me aim but yeah you're close be, yeah you're close now you just gotta dial it back and, and and do that so next year you'll be out you'll campaign this car next season try oh, yeah. to get out yeah. as much as you can and i need to do some work on the clutch mm -hmm. um whether I'm just going to go stage two in a black magic, I'm not sure, but I think I need to do something with it because that's two clutches I've fried this year. Maybe that Rev Six that Ron has that too much clutch for this? Yes, because of the transmission. Mm, yeah, it's gonna. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'd like to get the sixty foots down to one thirty six without mm -hmm. without doing, hopefully doing too much shock loading to the transmission, um, and I I'm thinking about dry sumping it. And running more boost uh, but the rest of it is going to say the same well and, and so now what are you doing nowadays what overall like nowadays you're in your shop here are you you just doing private work you open to the public or you just no no I um I've got to earn money <laughs> yeah somebody's got to pay for the racing sure it? sure <laughs> but um yeah mainly I do metalwork fabrication and restorations like that and um, I, rest I restored the body shell on the on Lee's pickup truck. So you do a lot. Of, I mean, you get a lot of work because you're right over here, right by Andy's place, across the alley here. Yeah. And so he keeps you fairly busy with a lot of stuff on your plate all the time. Or yeah, basically, when I decide, I started this business when I was sixty. Oh wow! <laughs> right. So um, been going six years now. So um, time's running out. Yeah, but um, I started, I started um, doing a few bits around the bit of fabrication and stuff because I've always been able to make stuff with metal and I've always done welding, and Andy wanted me to start building. When I thinking about starting up on my own, Andy suggested I start building engines because I used to do lo loads of engines and they were. I did one for him for his Type Three recently, ish, a few years ago. And um, we sort of reconnected when he when he started his business, probably about ten years ago now, I reckon. It yeah. was. And um, I've I've known Andy for a, a long time. Yeah, he says you're quite an engine builder. He says you build some really good engines. I, I yeah I I I used to. Hopefully, yeah. hopefully I still can. But yeah, I only really do it for myself. 
So you don't like the, but you, you rather just do metal work for people and fabrication. They need a custom intake manifold, fabbed up, stuff like that. Is that the stuff you do or are you just doing? I, I can, mainly I've been doing bodywork restoration, mm-hmm. but yeah, I, I like doing other stuff like that. Right. Any kind of fab work, things like that you can really do. It is metal. We like welding it. And if people want to get a hold of you, how do they find you? Uh, just, um, I'm on Facebook and that. So you're on Facebook under? JB's Elite Fabrications. JB's Elite Fabrications. So... If you guys are needing any of that stuff with, uh, you know, that's tied into whether you need some metal work done on your car or panels changed, things like that, that's kind of what, that's what you do? Yeah, I mean, I have started doing a bit of mechanical work for Andy. Yeah. Um, as this um, unbelievable uh, split window yeah. bus with 10, the body shell on that, it's just fantastic. Yeah, not from England, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> oh, yes, yeah, it's, it's not been rusting about over here very long. Right, right. Um, but, uh, I, um, I do, um, I like doing dual carb setups and balancing and tweaking. So I like it. I like doing a bit. I did one, I did one the other week on somebody's really, really nice bay window with two, two liter bay window. Yeah. So you still got it in you. You still love to solve the problems, right? I mean, that's really what it comes down to when you're. Yeah. When you're tweaking carbs, it's that hideously gentle bit where you're just opening the throttle and they're opening at the same time and you can you know it's that it's that that fettling that do the nut up slightly too tight and it alters it just that little tiny bit doesn't it you know and I yeah you know that last nip on the on the on the little eight mil or eight mil headed nut and it just alters on the thread just that bit yeah, I'm a bit of a bit of a ponce when it comes to doing carburetor <laughs> linkage really to be honest um, but I think that comes from when I used to have to make linkage mm-hmm. and you have to make all the arms the same and then, you know, find out why they're not opening exactly the same all the way through the range. Yeah. Sometimes you file the, file the little hole out a bit to alter the ratio just to touch, you know, just to get it nice and yeah, smooth. Yeah, perfect. And because um, so many twin carb Volkswagen air-cooled engines, the carburetor linkage is out and I absolutely hate right all the car all the cars drive around running on three cylinders and uh and and not dialed in and when i used to race years ago when when there was lots of air cooled because the volkswagen's racing now is mainly water cooled stuff Mm -hmm. there's only a handful of us really that are regularly on on the strip with it there's the outlaw flat four lot we've got some really nice cars fairly quick cars yeah um but they don't race with the vw drc um, they only do heads up racing and my car's not quick enough to do heads up racing so I don't mm, do that it's pretty quick but they've got cars that run nine threes and stuff so in heads up there's no point in even trying if you're just going to wait for somebody to break before you get to the end of the track that's you know I Every, know you've got to keep running to win everybody's got a bad day at the light one day <laughs> yeah yeah uh, but you have to be of a pretty bad light if I'm running ten threes and somebody else is running nine threes yeah you know, and they're they're running like 150 mile an hour terminals and stuff. So that's crazy. But um, yeah, so they're 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 the, sort of the air cooled lot, really. I mm-hmm. think now, and sometimes there's quite a few of them that go to Bug Jam. They uh, quite a few of them turn up, but there's, there's some there's there's some nice cars in that in there for air cooled stuff. There is. Um, no, it's it's interesting. It's we've seen it kind of get smaller and smaller over the years. The drag racing circuit and. Uh, 
I don't know. I don't know what it would take to kick it back up. You know, they're doing real street stuff in California and some other stuff. But I like I like that. Yeah, that's good. It's it's a it's 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 in fun. It's enjoyable to do, but people seem to be you know so focused on a lot of different things, and so just support the drag racers you guys see out there. Go watch them race, and uh, I don't know, but. Uh, John, I appreciate the time that you took to kind of tell me your story. And uh, yeah, it's probably bored most people. No, tears, no, but, it's great. And you know, because you you've been around racing since the early days of all the guys out here racing and, and being a part of that. And you know, it's just locking in that history, you know, of what happened and who was there and what took place and all that good stuff. So definitely uh, appreciate you sitting down with me. And uh, who knows, maybe we'll, we'll maybe we'll chat again someday soon. Be nice if we chat in America, wouldn't it? Yeah, anytime. Yeah. You got to come with Andy. Come down with Andy, and we got a spot for you. All right, I appreciate. Yeah, thank it. you very much indeed. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, if you like that podcast, and I'm certain that you did, make sure you share this podcast with your friends. We're almost at 300 uh, five star reviews on Apple Podcasts, so I'd like for you guys to go. Even if you don't want to type out a review, go leave a review on Apple Podcast. And uh, let's see if we can't hit 500 reviews. Come on, guys. Give me 500 reviews. It's the least you guys could do for me for all the hard work and effort I put in this podcast. I do it because I love you guys. I do it because I love the hobby. Um, I did want to mention that our event next year is already scheduled for October uh, 4th and 5th. But this year, we're actually going to be going on the 3rd. We're starting the 3rd, 4th, and 5th. And so there's a lot of – I'm going to go ahead and squash all the nonsense right now about – Oh, why is he putting it that weekend? All this, you know, I'm working with a gigantic hotel and casino that's given me the date. So that date's kind of set in stone. Vegas has always typically been the first weekend in October forever. So there's a lot of shows that are out and they're like, oh, you, you know, you're stepping on our show and stuff like that. Vegas goes back to 1993 with the first weekend in October with the drag races, bug in and all that kind of stuff. And it's been going on for all these years, 25 years, couple years, hit, miss, couple years in and out. didn't happen. Um, when we got our event back on, our intention when we started our event in 2020 was to put it on and get everything going again, first weekend in October, first, second weekend. And Unfortunately, we're at the mercy of the hotel and casino. So, you know, you know, it, it, it's a bummer, but, uh, you know, we had a ton of people. There's a lot of people in the hobby. There's enough for all the events to go around. Uh, I wish we could make everybody happy, but unfortunately, you know, it, it is what it is. But I'm excited because this year we're going to be starting Thursday. And Thursday is going to be a wide open, day long, citywide chip collecting opportunity to go to tourist spots in Vegas where you're going to get VIP parking. You're going to get a discount on admission to whatever it's going to be, whether it's a museum or something having to do with Vegas only culture and history. You'll get a commemorative chip that's tied into the one crazy weekend and it's going to be something cool. Kind of go at your own leisure. You can hit two spots. You can hit four spots, whatever there's going to be. You can hit it. More details will unfold as that comes. But what I envision is that you guys that are bringing your Volkswagens here to Las Vegas will get to drive your Volkswagens to cool tourist locations that you would want to go check out if you came to Vegas anyway. But because you're in your Volkswagen, you get to park up front and you get a discount and you get a commemorative chip for going there. So just something fun to do on the weekend. So you bring your car here. It's not just sitting in a parking lot. You're out and about and you're using that uh, to get around in Vegas and enjoying the time here. So more on that will unfold. I'm going to give out the room discount code as soon as I get the contract from the hotel. 
Uh, they've solidified our dates for 2024, 25, and 26. So we're we're already planning uh, the next three years in advance, and this next year is going to be a monster. So there's a couple of surprise things that are happening, but it's going to be a fun event. It's going to be a driving event. It's going to be get in on the road in town in Vegas and have a great time. So, uh, you know, much respect to everybody else putting on other events. You know, it, it is what it is, and, and uh, I can't move the mountain. So um, our event's been growing like crazy, and I'm sure – there's plenty of people in the hobby to go around to appreciate other events. It's a bummer because I like to I like to enjoy those other events as well, but there's not much I can do, and we're just going to keep the steam rolling on our event. It was a monster this year. I can't even describe to you how big it was, and everybody that comes brings a friend the following year, and that's how we've doubled in size every year that it's been going because it's a it's a fantastic venue. The property is great. The hotel rooms are super. We got hotel rooms Wednesday and Thursday are 40 bucks a night. Friday, Saturday, $90 a night. I mean, that's ridiculously cheap for Vegas. You can't get rooms that cheap anywhere. So not only do we take care of you with the room discounts, uh, but we also provide a bunch of good opportunities for you to enjoy your Volkswagen out here in uh, Sin City, the City of Lights, making it happen. And uh, I'm stoked for that. Hopefully I'll see a lot of people. Um, again, I know there's some conflicting events and it's, it's a bummer, but not much I can do about it. So, uh, other than that, guys, I'm looking forward to the next podcast that's going to be coming out for you guys. Lots of good stuff coming up and until next week later, you probably don't know that there's a new Volkswagen out that doesn't look like a Volkswagen. Volkswagen.